Welcome back to Building a Fighter. My name is Dr. Austin Shane, sports chiropractor in Scottsdale, Arizona. With me, as always, badass strength coach in Denver, Colorado, Alex Friedman. What up? Dude? How you doing, y'all? How are you? I'm great, man. Where you go? Just living. Living on this Sunday morning, drinking that coffee. Oh, yeah. Pour over today? Every day. Pour over today and every day. It's uh, part of my recipe for life. It's mindful coffee drinking for the people at home. I think I have more coffee. <laughs> I got, dude, when I have too much coffee, my fingers start to peel. It's like, that's how I know when I've been like consuming too much coffee. It's like, I'm having like four cups a day, five cups a day. My, like the tips of my fingers start to peel and I'm like, oh, I need to cut back on caffeine. One, that's super fucking weird too. You're such a lightweight. Oh, I know. I know. But today for everybody at home, we're going to be talking about unilateral versus bilateral exercises and trying to figure out when to implement either one into that program. So this is a little bit more strength heavy of a podcast, but definitely applicable for everybody at home if you are doing your own programming. So Alex, what is a unilateral exercise versus a bilateral exercise? Well, unilateral is, I mean, just what it sounds, it's like one leg or one arm using one side of the body, as opposed to our traditional bilateral exercises where you use two legs or two arms. So like your back squat is a bilateral exercise using both legs for it versus like a split squat or a lunge is a unilateral exercise. Um, the unilateral exercise actually offers a lot of variability and a lot of versatility in our workouts. You can actually get a lot stronger doing unilateral training than you can do doing bilateral training. Um, I forget the exact numbers, but you get up to like almost 75% of your 1RM on one leg when you do as opposed to two. So as a quick example, I know I didn't explain that very greatly. If you can back squat 300 pounds. Okay. And then we transition, we're going to do a split squat. You can still probably split squat almost 225 pounds. Yep. You know, you're, you're more, you're stronger than like the 50, 50 split that would be seemingly logical. So using the unilateral training gives you a big advantage as far as being able to express more strength and do it in a, you know, more efficient manner. Well, and they also allow you to overcome plateaus a lot better as well. So if you say you're hitting a plateau, uh, you're a college football player, you're hitting a plateau right around a four, four Oh five squat. Right. But then you can't do like what Alex is saying. You can't do a split squat up to more than 225 pounds. We know there is a deficit from left to right, depending upon which side you're feeling. If there is a problem getting you up to that 75% of your overall max of the exercise in the back squat. So what we would do is we would try to focus on different individual strength qualities and try to do that unilateral approach to try to load both legs in a different manner by loading both legs in a different manner. It'll increase this overall strength. And then we can go back and that'll allow us in theory to then have a higher back squat as we progress forward, because it's almost like bulletproofing the system. Yeah. And I mean, that's, I'd say the biggest part of that component is like the variability, the introducing a new mode of training for sure with the single leg. Um, another reason I love unilateral training and single leg stuff is it adds a stability factor into almost all of our strength work, right? There's, there's a certain level of stability you need to pull off a good back squat or a good deadlift, but a single leg stability factor when you're lifting up to 200 pounds or whatever it is, 
that's pretty irreplaceable as far as Mm -hmm. being strong and stable, right? So if I'm split squatting or I got my rear foot elevated, I'm doing Bulgarian squats. The stability is irreplaceable. We talk all the time about you can't shoot a cannon off a canoe. If you want to increase your stability, like go to unilateral exercises point blank because you have to be stable before you can be strong. You can't Mm -hmm. be off balance and try and squat. Right. That doesn't sure. And yeah, I've seen that. So I've been implementing a lot um, for my out of camp guys, safety squat, roof and elevated split squats. Um, I've been throwing those in because you can load the shit out of those. And it's apparent the difference in stability when you put somebody with a safety squat with a roof, like a Bulgarian squat versus just a straight up split squat or just a, just a bilateral exercise. Cause it brings in that stability component. It forces them like almost after every rep, if we're doing a, I mean, some of them are up at a 200 pound roof elevated split squat and they're doing that after every rep, it's almost like they have to reset their foot position because the stability is not there. And I'm like, oh, okay, well then we should probably bring in some sort of stability component into the program. So it's almost like a test, if you will, by doing a unilateral exercise, it's showing little chinks in the armor that you can then throw into different parts of their programming, whether it be in the auxiliary lifts or whether it be trying to make their primary focus a little bit more stability focused. When when you do these Bulgarian split squats or these rear foot elevated split squats, for the love of God, please avoid this common uh, error and very risky maneuver that I see everyone fucking do and it bugs the (laughs) shit out of me. They get all loaded up, we grab these weights, put them on the safety bar, whatever. They got all the weight on them. They put their one foot back and And we realize we're in a suboptimal position. (laughs) So we try and single leg hop into the right position. It's like, no motherfucker that's gonna hurt you like don't try and hop and reposition with 200 pounds on your back reset your foot get the right positioning and then step back again so you want to see an ankle um, blow out real quick easy way that's like (laughs) one of my biggest pet peeves and super scary to me is like repositioning from a single leg hop but uh okay so we'll transition right there single leg hops you know single leg plyometric exercise are probably the the biggest transfer and carryover to mma wrestling um of any plyometric exercise. Mm-hmm. That's one of my biggest things is like, I want to teach a plyometric progression. I start bilaterally so that we can get the skill and learn it a little bit easier. But ultimately I want a single leg plyometric because on any MMA strike and any wrestling takedown, we're going to be pushing off one leg and running our feet. So mm-hmm. I want to be able to create power and force in a multi-directional multi-planar fashion off of one foot. So to me, that's an easy progression into single leg hops, single leg lateral bound, single leg um, hurdle hops, just things like that, where it's still a unilateral exercise. It's just in a plyometric fashion off one mm-hmm. leg that those to me are for sure. And I've been doing a bunch of combo stuff as well. So doing like uh, a sequence I've done with a couple guys, uh, like um, not post-op, but like end of rehab into performance is doing like single leg, single leg bound, single leg bound, double leg bound, uh, sand bell slam, stuff like that, where you're combining the two. But if you're not doing one leg at a time, if you're not training both progressing force, so producing force, and then accepting force, which I think is the most important part of single leg plyometrics or single leg jumps, being able to accept the force, then you're, you don't expect to do it in your sport. If you can't train that variable, then don't expect to be good at it in your sport. And accepting force is one of the biggest things of being a fighter. You should be able to do it competently on one leg 
because you're not always on two legs. Sometimes somebody's got you up in a single leg. Well, guess what? You got to be able to fend them off when they have your leg in the air. You got to be able to move around. You got to be able to accept force and stay stable. That's what these single leg plyometrics do. And you can't get that from just doing broad jumps. You can't get that from just doing a double leg vert. That's, that's not enough to cut it. Yeah, 100%. The single leg absorbing force is huge because that's really that's the most risky position in a lot of sports is when we're absorb, absorbing or creating ample amount of force through one leg in a rotational type of manner. Like mm-hmm. that's your, your number one risk, quote unquote. So um, a couple of things I do for that is I do like a little hop matrix where you do a forward single leg hop right backwards into your home position, go lateral backwards into your home position and you rotate with it, rotate back. I think that teaches like single leg stability very well. And one cue I always use when I coach single leg plyometrics, and I should start using it on double leg as well, but are three S's when you hit the ground. I want to see a soft, stable, and stuck land. Mm-hmm. So I always say soft, stable stick. And the soft refers to the bend in the hip and knee and that triple flexion that again, isn't really talked about as much, but get some triple flexion and absorb the ground. You know, you want to, I always say land like a ninja or land like a cat. You don't want to land like a stiff board and, you know, lose all your position and stability. So those are two things that I always look for. And then that works double as an eccentric exercise as well, which we know eccentric exercise is going to build the most muscle and promote the most um, force capabilities. So those are, again, hitting multiple um, different adaptations, multiple different qualities of strength within single exercises on a single leg, most bang for your buck. Period. The other thing that's makes unilateral exercises, whether it be upper body or lower body, so important is it evens out asymmetries from left to right. So we know we've talked ad nauseum about the first UFCPI uh, book, the cross-sectional analysis that came out that showed that if there's a greater than 10% disparity, it's a 70 to 90% increase in injury risk between joints. So if your right knee is 15% more mobile or stronger than the left knee, guess what? There's going one or the other. We don't know which one. We just know one of them is more likely to get damaged at a 70 to 90% rate. Okay. Um, what eight, what unilateral exercises do is it focuses on evening out, evening out those different paradigms. If you're only doing back squats, double leg back squats, so to say, to keep the same example, how do you expect to try to fix that disparity between the left and between the right? You can't because you're always going to just continue to figure out the task. You're going to do the task. You're going to complete the back squat and you're probably using your right side a little bit more than your left side. Versus if we start implementing in our single leg stability exercises, our roof at elevated split squats, our skater squats, our eccentric box step downs, we can try to even out that disparity between left and right and try to get you to the point where it's beneath that 10% threshold or even even, even though that's probably not going to be realistic, you're you're never going to be even, you're not even though we're made to be symmetrical, you're never going to be hundred percent even, but we want to be as close as possible. And all of these different unilateral exercises, whether they be upper body, like dumbbell pressing versus barbell pressing or landmine pressing or lower body, whether that be just single leg skater squats, eccentric box step downs, like I talked about, that's, what's going to be that fills in the gap between those two sides. And it's going to make you more bulletproof. When I think about unilateral versus bilateral, I just think about bulletproofing your body. Think about if you had a suit of armor on and you had one hole on the left side, I'm not just going to wrap a whole thing, a fucking chain mail around to figure out both sides. No, I'm just going to fix that one hole. That's the difference between a 
barbell back squat, a double leg bilateral movement, you're just trying to wrap chain mail around the thing and make it just a little bit more stable as a whole versus doing a spot treatment and just filling in the chain mail on that one side. That's the difference between unilateral and bilateral. It doesn't make sense to do more work when you can get it accomplished with less work, right? Yeah, that is completely logical. And I think you brought up a big thing, like this is the same exact discussion that we're having we can do for the upper body as well i mean we're using primary lower body examples but shoulders elbows wrists everything in the upper body have the same type of adaptation same type of stability and bulletproofing but no that takes that makes a lot of sense to me and continue your analogy it's like you have a weakness in one specific spot rather than outfit you with a whole blocky set of armor right? We can address each individual piece a little bit better on its own. That's why you have little like gaps in your armor, little joint movements so that we can do them each individually and give the each body part its own kind of full degrees of freedom, full strength qualities, full everything. Um, And I think that makes a lot of sense as far as bulletproofing, like you're saying. So I'm all on board, man. And the whole argument of like exposing your compensations or exposing your uh, inequalities that's another money. That's another great point as far as you don't probably aren't aware of how much you're compensating at all. Nobody times, is. Nobody right? is. At all times. Um, and our body's kind of a messy organism where it's going to accomplish the task because that's how our brain works. It doesn't think of uh, necessarily how for a lot of tasks, it thinks of completing the tasks. So, and that's where everybody and all the coaches get into this constraints led approach, you know? I don't necessarily need you as an athlete to think about how you're doing things. Just do this thing and I'm going to set a couple of rules in place so you're forced to do it right or do it the way I want you. So I think a good constraint that we should add into almost every program, every training is a single leg exercise or unilateral based Mm -hmm. approach. So, and like you said, I feel like we're always talking about the lower body when we're doing this. It's because that's where it's so apparent, right? It's so apparent in a barbell back squat versus a split squat scenario, but time and time again, we see people with elbow pain or shoulder pain, and all of this could just be avoided if they take away the barbell bench and they throw in some landmine pressing, or they take away a barbell bent over row and they do prone rows with dumbbells. Anything making it a unilateral approach because you see, especially our MMA athletes or our striking athletes, one side might be stronger than the other side. We want to try to even that out as much as we can, knowing that it's never going to be even because if they're an orthodox fighter, their right hand's going to have all the juice, right? That, that right hand's going to be, that's that's that touch from God when they hit it hit him on the chin. The left hand's there for volume and the left hand's there for hooks, but that's a completely different pattern that we train. We need there to be some asymmetries, but we still want it from an injury prevention standpoint to be beneath that threshold of 10%. And that's where we can add in our single arm pressing, our single arm rowing. That's where I love the landmine. I know a lot of, uh, I've heard before that I, I don't have enough dumbbells, right? Or I uh, for like team scenarios, if there's a fight team that doesn't have enough dumbbells in the back for everybody to be doing unilateral exercises. That's where you can add the landmines in. Landmine is basically just a fat grip dumbbell, if you will. It's a unilateral, it's it's a great way to add in unilateral upper body movements that are going to take effect if you don't have enough different implements there for 
everybody. So adding in landmine pressing into your variations instead of barbell bench, adding in landmine rows into your variations instead of just a straight up barbell row. All of these different options are going to even out those asymmetries. They're going to make you a better fighter. They're going to make you more injury prevent or more bulletproof, if you will, less injury risk. And on top of all of that, it's typically going to make you stronger overall. It's going to make your barbell stuff that you love doing better. So why not implement it upper and lower body as much as you can into your programs? Yeah. So, and and that gets my wheels turning. If we talk about like barbell bilateral work or compound lifts versus our unilateral work and getting the single leg and single arm stuff involved. Um, what is your kind of trigger Austin as to why you would select a, let's say a barbell bench press versus a dumbbell bench press who needs what, and what are your kind of determining factors when you go to prescribe each exercise? Um, there's a lot of variables, uh, as you know, but, but for, for me, for the most part, it depends on what a, what type of camp are we going into? B, what's, what's their actual sport? Are they a boxer? Are they an MMA fighter? Are they a gen pop? person. Um, and also what's the goal of them coming to me? If somebody's coming to me for size and for mass, typically I'm going to pick barbell movements. The reason being for me personally, the reason being I can load it up more. I think I can add in the tempo that I need a little bit better for barbell movements. And for the most part, if you add on mass moves, mass, right? If you add on more mass onto the barbell, I can get more mass output. That's going to make mass. So that's where I use a lot of barbell movements outside of that. Like when I'm thinking like in camp for my fighters, I really don't do a whole bunch of barbell movements. Like I'll do, I'll do trap bar movements. Um, we, we do trap bar deadlifts and stuff like that. I've, I've yet to have anybody deadlift with a barbell. Um, I've talked on this podcast before that I think that is a useless task for MMA fighters, but trap bar movements is bilateral. I'll do safety squats as bilateral movements, um, just because we can get higher force output, but the majority, the meat and potatoes of an in-camp program, if you come to Austin at Warrior Sports Wellness is going to be unilateral movements based around strength and power metrics. I like it. Does that answer your question? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how about you? I was going to say, you're not going to ask me back here. This is no, I already know your answer. (laughs) Me and my wife have a very uh, funny anecdote when we do that. We were riding back uh, to our house on a road trip one day and we had like three or four hours to burn. And she goes, so Alex, what's your dream house look like? And I give a very vanilla college guy answer who's never thought of a dream house in his life before, you know, (laughs) or whatever. And I just kind of leave it at that. And then maybe 10 seconds go by or whatever. She kind of looks at me. She's like, well, aren't you going to ask me what my dream house is like? (laughs) So she asked the question just to get the response of, can I share this? Right. right? Oh yeah. So we just call that a uh, dream house scenario. And so this was very much a dream house scenario where you were supposed to ask me back what my, my factors. Got were. you. Alex, what, what are your factors in programming in bilateral versus unilateral exercises? Um, my pretty much exclusive variable or not exclusive variables are uh, training age and absolute strength. Uh, if I get somebody and I know we got to work on absolute strength, we don't have any ability to either bench press back squat or whatever, you know, two to two and a half times our body weight, then we got to go to the barbell. Like in my opinion, there's no better way to increase absolute strength. Kind of like you're talking about with mass versus mass, increase absolute strength than with bilateral compound movements. You know, that's pretty bread and butter. So if, again, we have time, we're out of camp and context allows, blah, blah, blah. Um, I use a lot of bilateral 
um, barbell movements to increase absolute strength and uh, get some of the mass type of things going. But if an athlete has adequate strength levels and they're coming to me for a camp or in camp or we're getting closer sports performance, that's when I taper into the unilateral movements or get more deep into the quote unquote functional strength side of things where we can create a lot more power and a lot more sport um, adaptive demands with the unilateral stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's my, those are my two biggest, uh, I guess, rocks are training age. Does this person know how to move a barbell and move compound movements? well and then do they need absolute strength because uh, as much as you can train absolute strength on unilateral movement you can definitely do that and increase that for sure you're i think you're going to get a bit a bigger carryover and a bigger training effect of absolute strength from bilateral well it's just a higher neural stimulus right it's going to put the entire system under more stress if you put the whole system under more stress it's going to cause a greater adaptation for what you're doing. Right. And as much as we talked about, like you can unilaterally squat, you know, up to 70, 80% of what you can bilaterally squat, blah, blah, blah. Um, bilateral squatting is still more. Still right. You're still doing a hundred percent. So yeah, it's more it's motor still, unit improvement. So, yeah. So those are kind of my, my factors when I have somebody coming into me and approaching me as to why I would select a bilateral versus unilateral. Exercise. Yeah. And then you could, I mean, on top of all of this, we could start factoring in our Olympic lifting scenarios, which again, we've talked sure. about a bunch, but factoring in, do we need to do a actual power clean or can we do get the same stimulus from a kettlebell clean? Yeah, or like a single leg project. Like, yeah, you know, exactly. Juxtapose it however you want. And then I think the other confounding variable or <laughs> big idea, quote unquote, you can do both at the same time. Exactly. There's no fucking yeah. rules. You know, you can back squat in your A block and then, you know, split squat or reverse lunge in your B block. That's completely okay with a, a well-balanced program. But yeah, the moral of the story here is both are useful. <laughs> you need to probably have both types of movements in your programs, but for GPP out of camp, barbell movements may be better at absolute strength of that mass. As soon as you get into camp, the sport specific prep, typically you're going to see a little bit more unilateral movement variability. Sure. Yeah. Easy. TLDR, too long, didn't read. Incorporate both. Yes, sir. Well, this is Building a Fighter. That's our talk on bilateral versus unilateral exercises. Uh, if you got to get in time, ca- contact with us, all our info is in the show notes. If you want to get any programs, whether we have our preset programs or our custom programs, that's going to be at buildingafighter.com. We have a low back program as well. If you have a history of low back pain, you want to increase that robustness of the low back. There's an entire program set based around that. And as always, Dr. Awesome Chain. Alex Freeman. We are out. Oh.